let's talk about heavenly nepotism on this episode of Pushback. you're concerned about the direction our culture is heading, then maybe it's time to push back. Hello, everyone. This is Dr. Johnny, and this is another episode of Pushback. I'm coming to you right before apparently a a super snowstorm that's about to hit. It's actually going to hit the Twin Cities. We actually live north of the cities, Um, and that's kind of been the case this year. Most of the storms have been worse actually south of us, and so I told my my wife and kids last couple days, good thing we moved north so we can avoid the winter storms. So it's supposed to be it's supposed to be a doozer, I guess. So we're kind of hunkering down and getting ready for that. Uh, and it's my pleasure to come before you again this week. I'm so grateful for you to spend time listening to my heart, uh, listening to the things that concern us today, because there are plenty of things. I could have gone many different directions today, not coming very close to running running out of topics. Uh, today, though, I want to talk about something that kind of springboards off of last week's message that was entitled um, revival of the fittest question mark. Um, if you haven't uh, heard that one, I encourage you to go back and listen to the podcast last week, uh, talking about the exciting revival breaking out in Kentucky and that whole region. Now, uh, pretty exciting stuff for sure. Uh, I want to really just tell you some stories today. It's going to be a series of stories, um, mostly out of the book of acts, but, uh, I was just, uh, at one point reading through the book of acts and, and, and just found a theme that's going to tie in at the very end to what's happening in the world today. And I want to tell a series of really supernatural stories. So let's get started because I have a lot of ground to cover here. But it starts in chapter 7 with Stephen. And Stephen is saying as he is being persecuted, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one, of whom you now have become the betrayers and murderers, who have received the law by the direction of angels and have not kept it. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed at him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God and said, Look, I see the heavens opened up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul, and they stoned Stephen to death. And then chapter 8 goes on, talking about how Saul is persecuting and pursuing the church, only for chapter 9 then to happen. And it says, Paul, as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. And then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Now, after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night and let him down through the wall in a large basket. Incredible stories. 
But it started with Stephen actually piercing the heart of Saul. Saul was there listening to the heart of Stephen, who was speaking truth. Saul was a learned man. And I believe deep down in his heart, he knew that Stephen was right. And here comes Jesus and says, it's hard for you to kick against the goads, isn't it? Because Saul already had a notion that maybe something was going on here. And then has a supernatural vision. And Jesus visits him. And he has a supernatural escape and his life is preserved. And he goes on to be one of the greatest apostles and preachers the world has ever known. On to chapter 10, there was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of who was called the Italian regiment, a devout man, and one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. This was not a Jew. This was a Gentile, an Italian soldier who was devout and generous and was in prayer. About the ninth hour of the day, he clearly saw in a vision, an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. And when he observed him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? So he said, Your prayers and your alms have come up as a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. Then he became very hungry. And so then Peter, so they sent the, they sent the, the servants to Peter. Uh, Peter was up in his room and it said he became hungry and wanted to eat. But while um, they made ready, he fell into a trance and saw heaven open up and an object like a great sheet bound at four corners, descending him and let down to the earth. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And a voice came to him and said, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, No, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. And a voice spoke to him again the second time. What God has cleansed, you must not call common. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those. So Peter came with the with the the soldiers that were sent to go get him, and he began giving a message. And he didn't well, he wasn't even able to finish the message when this happened. The Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word, and those of the circumcision who believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they heard them speaking with tongues and might and magnifying God. This was a a, a non-Jew <laughs> that was receiving the power of the Holy Spirit. As if the Holy Spirit, it was time for it to come on the Gentiles, and the Father in heaven said, Hmm, who should I pick? And he picked Cornelius, a devout man, to be the demonstration of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on all the Gentiles. Let's go on to chapter 12. Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. And when Herod was about to bring him out, that night Peter was sleeping, bound with two chains between two soldiers. And the guards before the door were keeping, it, keeping the prison. Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him, and a light shone in the prison. And he struck Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise quickly! And his chains fell off his hands. Then the angel said to him, Gird yourself and tie on your sandals. So he did. And he said to him, Put on your garment and follow me. And the angel leads him to this house uh, that he was familiar with and where they were praying. 
And as Peter knocked on the door of the gate, a girl named Rhoda came to answer. When she recognized Peter's voice because of her gladness, she did not open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter stood before the gate. She just left him there. But they said to her, you are beside yourself. Yet she kept insisting that it was so, though they said it was his angel. Now Peter continued knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. These people, what were they praying for? They were praying for their brother Peter. Peter gets led out by an angel. It wasn't a vision. They told him to put his shoes on. He knocks on the door. These people were praying so diligently that they actually wouldn't have been surprised if it was his angel. They were just surprised that it was him because it doesn't seem like it's possible that he could be out of prison. So what do these stories have in common, these series of chronological stories through this small portion of Acts? What they have in common is that every one of these stories has a heaven component and a human component. A heaven component and a human component. It actually speaks to the culture of a father. This podcast is all about culture and about the father's heart for us. He's a good father. He loves his kids. And since he created Eden, uh, from Eden all the way up into the New Testament church, it's been heaven with human, supernatural with the natural, extraordinary God with ordinary men. That's the way God rolls. See, he loves his kids. This is entitled heavenly nepotism. The word nepotism means the practice among those with power or influence of favoring relatives, especially by giving them jobs. (laughs) This is heavenly nepotism. This is a good father who wants to use his kids. Any one of these stories that I just read could have just had a heavenly component where the Holy Spirit comes down and just whacks people. But every single one has a human component where he actually wants to use his kid. Stephen was the key that unlocked a door to a man's heart that ended up becoming one of the greatest apostles of all time and released the most New Testament books through the power of the Holy Spirit. Cornelius was a demonstration to Gentiles of the unlocking of the Holy Spirit that could be used in a supernatural and powerful way, but it required a devout man to be able to hold it, he and his household. Peter was was captured. He was supernaturally released, but there was a power of prayer. People gathered to... to, um, to come before the throne of God on his behalf, which triggered the angelic, which allowed him to, be, to escape and to move and to continue with his ministry. There's a heaven component and a human component. When we read these stories, we see heavenly visitations. We see encounters, visions, trances, angelic visitations, supernatural occurrences, chains falling off. But in conjunction with human interaction. Stephen evangelizes Saul, Ananias, Cornelius, Peter, the praying church. Even Rhoda, who opens the door. She's mentioned in the Bible, but she was so excited because her prayers were answered. See, I think that perhaps we think about this all wrong. See, we separate heaven and earth. We separate heaven from human. 
his supernatural work, our natural work. We have a dear friend that says we live as earthly beings looking for or hoping for a heavenly visitation, but we are actually heavenly beings having an earthly visitation. Can I say that again? We don't live as earthly beings looking or hoping for a heavenly visitation. We are actually heavenly beings having an earthly, hoping. <laughs> say that again. We are actually heavenly beings having an earthly visitation. See, it says in the Bible that I'm actually crucified with Christ. My flesh has been crucified. We have been raised in the spirit through the power of the resurrection. And it says in Ephesians 2 that we are seated in him in heavenly places. Where? In heavenly places. That's where we're seated. Human in heaven. Heaven in human. See, we are one in our heavenly mission. We are one with him in our heavenly mission. Not heaven with human, alongside human, but heaven in human. We need to have a mindset change. Something needs to shift. Our father loves nepotism. He loves to use his kids. He loves to give them and promote them in jobs because he has work to do. He loves to see us moving and manifesting in his spirit. I've said it a thousand times that we are the ambassadors of heaven, which means that that's where we're from. We're heavenly beings having an earthly visitation. I want this and I hope that this shifts everything in your mind in the way that we think. And if we truly are seated in him in heavenly places, then what can't we do? What can't we do? Jesus understood it when he said, you will do greater things than I have even done. And we get little glimpses of it in the books of, book of Acts. Because of these stories, you know, Paul was resistant he was kicking against the goads. Cornelius was unqualified. Peter was trapped and imprisoned. And they needed heaven. They needed a, a heavenly part of the story. Heaven and human. What about a girl with an angelic encounter? Then Mary said, Behold the maidservant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord, here comes heaven, appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take you, Mary, your wife, to take for you, Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." Joseph also went up from Galilee and out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was while they were there, the days were completed for her to be, de to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in a swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. She probably was disillusioned. She, they, I looked up that they walked probably somewhere around 90 miles. They were tired. They were fatigued. There was, there was an illusion that she was carrying a king, and yet she was in a stable, stinky manger. manger. And then comes the shepherds. 
They were the lowest crust of society. So why would he pick them? And they came and haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told to them concerning the child. And all those who heard it marveled at the things that were told to them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Heaven inhuman. Mary said, do it unto me because the Father himself wanted Jesus to be conceived of a woman, born of a woman, born of flesh, so that his flesh could be sacrificed and his blood could be shed for us. But he needed a human. He chose Mary. He visited Joseph who became her greatest advocate and did all that the Lord told him to do. When they were that the, the weakest and the most tired and probably doubting, in comes the shepherds, the lowest crust of society, to come and deliver a message of encouragement and edification. They needed heaven, but they also needed a human to deliver the package. So, these are not fairy tales. <laughs> we live, we live heaven and human. It's the same team operating as one. We are pieces of his plan. We are central to his plan and he wants to use us. And we should expect all of heaven. We should expect all of his resources to come alongside the things that we are dreaming over, the things that we are doing, the things that we are called to. Do we expect it? Do we even look for it? Heaven will always show up in all of these stories. That's the nature of God. So that's my baseline understanding, and I won't be moved from that. I expect heaven to be an absolute partner, an absolute oneness to what, to what we are doing here on this earth, connected to heaven and his plan and his will on earth as it is in heaven. Some people say we're so heavenly minded, we're no earthly good. I, I believe that's completely wrong. I think that we're so earthly minded that we're no heavenly good. We're actually heavenly beings, but we become so carnal. We become so um, consumed by the things that are around us, the things that's called this world, that we actually miss the assignment and we miss the actual expectation that heaven is going to come and partner with us. It's all around us. We've just become earthly focused and it dulls our heavenly senses. <laughs> we need to look for it, expect it, long for it, be desperate for it. It's around us. We just need to do what he's telling us to do and watch heaven come and partner with us. We ex should expect to be used as the human in the story. Stephen, Ananias, somebody let Paul down the basket, Peter, Rhoda. I want to be one of the shepherds. I want to be the one that opens the door after my prayer and see the, the very thing that I was praying for. I want to do it when I'm just even minding my own business, doing the things that he called me to do. There have been times in the emergency department where patients have been, been sad and afraid, and I can partner with them and pray with them. And I watch the encouragement and and I even watched their heart rate and their blood pressure come down. 
Is that supernatural? It sure could have been. It sure could have been heaven visiting my earthly experience and partnering with me. So let me finish with one more story. This is a current event story. It all started Wednesday, February 8th, when Zach Meerkrebs, a volunteer soccer coach who had addressed the student body only twice before, gave an improvised sermon about love. He wasn't even the head soccer coach. He wasn't the assistant soccer coach. He was a volunteer soccer coach. He wasn't a seasoned minister or preacher. He'd only done it one other time. He said, some of you guys have experienced radically poor love, Mir Krebs, a tattooed 32-year-old with a penchant for kumbacha, told the crowd, some of you guys have experienced that love in the church. Maybe it's not violent. Maybe it's not molestation. It's not taken advantage of, but it feels like someone has pulled a fast one on you. Then he uttered the invitation that ignited a movement. If you need to hear the voice of God, the Father in heaven who will never love you that way, that is perfect in love, gentle and kind, you come up here and experience his love. Don't waste this opportunity. In kind of a final corny throwaway line, he said, I pray that this sits on you guys like an itchy sweater and you gotta itch. You gotta take care of it. Meerkrebs told this reporter that he was certain that he had, quote, totally whiffed the sermon. He immediately got off the stage and texted his wife, quote, latest stinker. I'll be home soon, end quote. But students at Asbury College, moved by his message, lingered. At first, he said it was just 18 of them who stayed back to pray while everyone else headed to class. But then students began texting each other. You need to come back to chapel. Something is happening. Zach Meerkrebs. Maybe in the big spiritual picture, he's a nobody. But he said the words that sparked a revival that is still going on weeks later in Kentucky. Heaven inhuman. He was just doing what he was asked to do. Deliver a short message. He chose the topic of love. He called for a real change and a real decision. He called for, the, for them to scratch the itch. <laughs> and the rest is history. See, we just move in what he tells us to do. But then we expect heaven to show up. Heaven inhuman. Our father loves nepotism. He loves his kids. He loves to use us. He loves Zach Meerkrebs so much that his simple words could just simply be the match that sparks revival and becomes a national phenomenon. Our God is like that. We're still telling stories of Peter and Paul and Cornelius and Mary and Joseph and Jesus. It's because heaven shows up and he wants to use us and he wants to use you. We are the difference makers. We are the ones here through the power seated in him in heavenly places that impacts this world and changes our culture. 
to look like heavens. So with that inspiration, let's go together now to set and shape the culture. Oh,